Hello, this is Ashley Chase welcoming you to the Mark Driscoll Podcast. For more content from my dad, Pastor Mark, Senior Pastor here at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona, visit realfaith.com, where you'll find study guides to go along with each sermon series as he preaches verse by verse through books of the Bible, daily devotions, free ebooks, and more. Now grab your Bibles and get ready for today's sermon. This is week two of the Worship the King series, and we're looking at the worship of Jesus Christ, our great King. And welcome to our worship service and those of you who are joining us online. But when you get together in church, it's just kind of interesting to think about for a moment that what you and I would consider normal is really corollary to our experience. Some of you, this is your first time in church. You're like, I got no idea what we're doing. That's why I sat in the back. If something goes down, I'm gonna go. Okay, welcome, we're glad to have you. Some of you are brand new to church, you're brand new Christians. Maybe this is the only church you've ever known and seen. Maybe some of you have got a lot of church experience. My wife was a pastor's kid. My kids were pastor's kids. They've seen a lot of church. And your view of church really is that whatever you've experienced, you probably consider normative. And different people have different experiences, so they have different preferences and different ideas of when we get together to have church and to be church and to do church, what is normal and normative. Tell you a little bit about me. So I grew up Roman Catholic. I was baptized as a Catholic as a baby, and I was raised in the Catholic church. So if you're here, my name is Father Mark. Welcome to our mass. Um, We're very glad to have you. And... uh, and, and, and so growing up in the Catholic church, what I appreciated was the reverence. Uh, every week there was, uh, there was mass is what we called church service. And there was communion every week to remember the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. And I really appreciate that. And there was a lot of reverence. There was time for kneeling and contemplation. It was a bit of an aerobics class. You had to stretch out a little bit. You could pull a hamstring. So there was a lot of kneeling and praying and listening and and partaking in communion. I remember and respect the reverence of it. And then in college, I became a Christian. I went to church, but I wasn't a Christian. It wasn't the church's fault. I didn't have a bad experience. I was just a bad guy. And so then I'm in college and Grace gives me a Bible, my now wife, and I became a Christian reading the Bible. Well, now I decide to find a church that teaches the Bible. And the problem is, I don't know what I'm looking for. And I end up in a church where the pastor says, and I quote, open your Bibles. And I was like, I've come to the right place. Uh, Everybody had a Bible, which to me was a good sign that we're probably gonna study it. And he was a great Bible teacher and I love him with all my heart. My first church was amazing. And he generally preached through books of the Bible. What I really appreciated about that church, their strength was, great Bible teaching and also really loving, healthy relationships. This was during my college years and I actually loved church more than I loved college. And I had better relationships in the church than I did on the campus. And then while I'm in college, I met some kids who said they were charismatic and Pentecostal. I didn't know what that meant. They're like, you wanna come to our ministry, our college group, our church? Sure, I'm a Christian, you love Jesus, I love Jesus. Woo, these are not the decaf people, these are, These are the Red Bull for Jesus, folks. They are, wow, wow, okay, we just found the varsity, folks. I thought Catholics moved a bit. The Catholics got nothing on these people. I mean, this is full on, you know, this is full on, you're gonna, you're gonna actually burn calories during worship. It's, it's a thing. And they're raising their hands and they're cheering and they're shouting and they're crying and people are falling down. I'm like, whoo, there's a lot. I was raised Catholic, man. You know, like we don't say a lot and we don't do a lot. But these people seem really excited and they really did love Jesus. And what I really appreciated was their passion. They would pray like God heard them or, and sometimes like he was a bit deaf. Um, uh, 
it could get a little loud. And, and they sang with this enthusiasm and it was incredible. And I just loved their passion and their worship and their, and their singing. And then some years later, I became a pastor and I met some other pastors and they invited me to their churches and they were what would be considered more seeker churches. And what I appreciated there was the hospitality. Everything was organized, good signage, good website, good communication. What they were trying to do was make it as easy as possible for non-Christians and new people to come to church and hear about Jesus. They tended to be great on throwing parties and events and hospitality and just a warm, welcoming environment. I really appreciated that. And so what is your experience? What do you consider normative? And what I would say is, Every church has its strengths and rather than criticizing their weaknesses, let's learn from their strengths. And the reason why churches will do some things better than others is usually we're trying to pack the church service into about an hour. I don't believe in that. Um, I believe in Jesus, not the clock. And so, so for us, the, the issue is, well, how do you get worship and prayer and communion and Bible to, how do you get all that into an hour? It's hard to, so you're gonna be here for a while. If you're new, I hope you packed a snack. It's gonna be a while, but our thought is, if you're gonna make all the effort to be with us, then we're gonna seek to do everything that we can do to connect with God in all the ways that he has for us and just spend a little bit of time doing so. And so what we're gonna do today, we're gonna look at how do we worship in church? Last week, we looked at how do we worship in heaven? Now we look at how do we worship in church? And then we'll look at how do we worship at home? And then how do we worship in life? How does worship go from the presence of God to the presence of your everyday life? But today we're gonna to deal with how do we worship God in church? When we come together, what are we supposed to do and not do? And here's the big idea, why? This is gonna be super practical. How many of you were those kids? You are always asking why. Your parents would tell you to do something, clean your room, why? Right, right, hey, you know, do your homework, why? We raised a few of those kids. And, and it's good because they just wanna know why. They don't wanna just do it, they wanna know why they're doing it. And so when we come together for church, we do things and some of you will be the why kids. You're like, well, why do we do that? Hey, thanks for asking. My name's Pastor Mark and, uh, and we'll start with this question and then we'll work through it. What is worship? So when we talk about worship, the first thing is we have to figure out, okay, well, what, what is worship? It's adoration and action, according to Hebrews 13, 15 through 16. Uh, adoration through him, that is Jesus Christ, let us continually, it's a lifestyle, offer up a sacrifice. Worship is making sacrifices of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name and its action. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So what is worship? It's two things, it's adoration and it's action. It is adoration up to God and it's action out to others. It is declaring God and then doing good. And so it is a relationship with God that affects our relationship with others. And as a result, it's very personal, but it's also very practical. And what happens when we're adoring God, that's largely internal. God sees your heart and he says, oh, they know me, they love me, they, they exalt me, they appreciate me, they, they trust me. And when we get to the point of action, that's external so that other people can see it. Oh, the way those people live their life is in relationship to God. Those people are different and that's because their God has set them apart. That's what holiness means, to live a life that is according to his word, his will, his way. 
And so it's adoration. And so this is praying and singing and contemplating and emotional, passionate response. And it's action. It's obeying God. It's repenting and stopping sin. It's helping others. It's being generous. It's loving and doing good deeds. And so what worship is, is not something that starts with us. It starts with God. This is what's so important that you and I understand that God is a worshiping God and we're made in his image and likeness to similarly be worshipers. So the next point is that God worships. In John 17, five, this is Jesus' high priestly prayer. This is the longest prayer of Jesus recorded in all of human history. And at the beginning in John 17, he says this, and now father glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This word for glory and glorifying, it is radiating. It is radiating. When Moses was in the presence of God and came down, it says that he radiated the glory of God. When you're in the presence of God, you radiate the character, the goodness, the glory of God. And so what this is, he's saying that the Father and the Son, God the Father and God the Son, they worshiped one another, they glorified one another, they honored one another, they cherished one another. To go back to the categories of Hebrews, they had adoration and action before time began. The, the doctrine of the Trinity is that there's one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. You're at the Trinity Church. Uh, we hold that sacred view of God that only Christians believe. One God, three persons. What that means is that God is a worshiping community that the Father, Son, and Spirit, they have adoration for one another continually throughout all eternity. When Jesus talks about glory and glorifying one another, he's talking about the Father, Son, and Spirit glorifying one another, adoring one another, and also not just adoration, but action. They serve one another, they consider one another, they anticipate um, how to bless and, and, to, and to encourage one another. And so for you and I, we look at God and we say, God is the perfect worshiper. If you wanna know what worship looks like, don't go out, first go up. Before we look at how other people worship, we need to see how God worships. And so when Jesus comes to the earth, he lives a life of perfect worship. Everything he does is out of adoration to the Father. And it is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it's all adoration and then it's action. Jesus says, I didn't come to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. What he's saying is everything I do, all of my actions are adorations. All of my action is adoration. It's under authority and in obedience. And so we see that God here is worshiping continually. And this is to honor, to praise, to, to put someone in a position of priority and preeminence and prominence and to give them the honor and the glory that they are due. And so what we learn is that God is a worshiper and right now God is worshiping. The Father, Son, and Spirit are worshiping one another. But right now I have such good news for you. Jesus is alive. Amen. That's really good news. And hey, I, 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 everybody's like, well, isn't that for Easter? No, that's for every day. I'm telling you right now. Every day is Easter for me. Jesus is alive. So I get out of bed and I have some hope for the day. So Jesus died and rose and he returned to heaven. And so right now, there is worship happening, not just by God, but in the presence of God by departed saints and divine beings. So this is what we looked at last week in Revelation 4, 2 through 11. Right now, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, they're worshiping, glorifying action and adoration one to another. In addition, every being surrounding 
right now, Jesus Christ in glory is worshiping. So right now, Jesus is being worshiped up there. And here's what we read. I was in the spirit. So you can't worship God apart from the Holy Spirit. We dealt with all this last week. I'll give you a quick summary. And behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. So there's two big thrones in heaven, God the Father, God the Son. God the Father, God the Son. And there are little thrones that God's servants and saints seat upon. And the reason that the Holy Spirit doesn't have a throne is he's leading worship around the throne and he's coming down to earth to connect heaven and earth so that God is worshiped up there and God is worshiped down here. And he's answering Jesus' prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the Holy Spirit is the capital WL worship leader. He is in John, John is in the spirit and he is transported between the seen and the unseen realm by the presence and the power and the person of the Holy Spirit to participate in the worship of God. Around the throne were 24 thrones, seated on thrones were 24 elders. Those are departed believers. Those are people who love Jesus and have died and gone to be in the presence of the Lord. From the throne came flashes of lightning. So now we're into production. We're into lighting and sound and video. And if you're a person who's like, I hate that high tech worship. Well, you better fix that before you get here. Uh, the whole of heaven is plugged in uh, to the presence and the power of God. From the throne came flashes of lightning, that's lighting, and rumblings and peals of thunder. We talked about how in the original Greek text, those are the subwoofers. And before the throne, just trust me, I'm a professional. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Most commentators believe that is God, the Holy Spirit. Seven is the number of perfection. The Holy Spirit is leading worship around the throne. Around the throne on each side of the throne are four living creatures. Now what these are, these are divine beings. These are sometimes called angels or the sons of God or the divine council. Each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around and within and day and night, they never cease to say. So they're singing and they're worshiping. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The 24 elders, these departed saints, believers, fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship. There it is. What's happening right now? Worship. Worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. That's adoration for you created all things and by your will, they were created. We looked at how they take their crowns off of their head and they lay them at the feet of their king. And as I was praying, uh, the Lord reminded me that one of the words for worship in the New Testament is proskuneo, not to get super nerdy, but it literally means to kiss the feet of the king. All of human history is going to the throne of Jesus Christ. And those who belong to him and believe in him will fall down, fall down before him. We will lay all of our wealth, all of our honor, all of our accomplishments at his feet, and we will kiss the feet of our king. And right now, if you were to die today, you would still be worshiping in heaven with the departed believers and the divine beings. So God worships and everyone and every being in the presence of God worships God. And this includes production, like we talked about. There's light, there's sound. God encourages us to have environments of worship. When there is someone or something sacred and holy, that means it is set apart, unique and distinct. This is why when you have Thanksgiving dinner, you set up your home and you set your table. This is why a little girl starts planning her wedding at a very young age. That's a big sacred special day. 
And so a lot of preparation is made to create an environment of honor so that when the door is opened and the bride is revealed in all of her glory, then everyone honors her, cherishes her, blesses her. And I was thinking about it today. When you see God in all of his glory, you emotionally, passionately respond. That's why we wanna create environments where people can respond to God. I've done a ton of weddings in my life. Only, I've only been married once. These were weddings I officiated. I've only officiated one wedding. Uh, I've officiated a number of weddings in my life. And here's what I've never done. I've never had to pull the groom aside and say, okay, what's gonna happen is, okay, you're gonna stand here and then they're gonna open the doors and then you're gonna see your girl. So what I need you to do is get emotional. Never had to tell the guy that. I don't need you to say, He just does. And if he doesn't, he's the wrong guy. She should just turn around and get in the car and pick another guy. The point is this, when you're in a loving relationship and you see someone in glory in a sacred moment, there's a whole response to that relationship. There's a full passion of that moment. And what happens here is John says, I saw Jesus in glory. Breathtaking, overwhelming, magnificent. And there is a complete, total, emotional, physical, spiritual response. All of you was made by God. All of you belongs to God. And all of you is created to respond to God in glory. And that's what worship is. It's adoration and it's action. And we talked about briefly, religious people always come in there like, well, the church should not be like a concert. No, it should be better. Um, You know, I mean, because what people will say is, well, I just don't think the church should be mimicking the world and have a smoke machine and sound system and lights and video. And what I would tell you, and I told you this last week is, I don't believe that the church is copying the world. I believe that the world is copying the kingdom. In the presence of God, it says there is smoke. So smoke machine, maybe we'll see when we get there. It does say that there are lots of colors and lights and there is great sound and there is music and there are instruments. And so what we want to do is live kingdom down. And if God is being worshiped in that way continually, then we want to have him worshiped here like he is worshiped there. So God worships and right now there is worship in heaven unceasingly continually in the presence of God. And then the question is, how does the worship from up there come down here? This is what we learn. Worship in heaven comes to the church. Acts 1.8, Jesus died in your place for your sins. He's your only God and savior. There's no forgiveness without Jesus. There's no eternal life without Jesus. There's no relationship with God without Jesus. There's no understanding of who God is apart from Jesus. There's no understanding of who you are apart from Jesus. You need Jesus. We all need Jesus. And some of you are like, what are you trying to do? Convert me? Exactly. Thank you for paying attention. Yes. So Jesus dies and Jesus rises. And then Jesus people are so excited. They're like, we gotta go tell everybody we met God and he loves us and he forgives us and and he opens heaven for us. And what Jesus says is you gotta wait, you gotta wait. He says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What he says is you need to have the power of the Holy Spirit to do ministry. And he goes on to say, you will be my witnesses. You're gonna go tell everybody, Jerusalem where they were, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Has this promise of Jesus come to pass? Yes. Scottsdale is officially the end of the earth. (laughs) The end of the earth. 
So what Jesus said was, I've come for the whole planet and the news of my victory needs to go to all nations, but you need to wait until you have power. So what Jesus says is just wait and power and the Holy Spirit are synonymous. You can't have power without the Holy Spirit. So then uh, we read, when the day of Pentecost arrived, Penta means 50, this is 50 days after Passover. This is 10 days after Jesus' resurrection. And it was a Jewish holiday. They were all together in one place. So God's people are gathered. These are the first believers in Jesus on earth. Today, Christianity is the biggest movement of any sort or kind in the history of the world. Nothing is bigger than Jesus. No one is bigger than Jesus. It is global phenomena from a resurrected King. And so we're here to worship Jesus. But what it says was it started with 120 people. Just think about that. We're 2000 years later, all the nations that worship Jesus, billions are worshiping him on planet earth. Say, where did it all start with 120 people? God does big things through little people who are filled with the spirit of God. And so you and I are part of a miracle. The church of Jesus Christ is one of the evidences of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. If Jesus is dead and the Holy Spirit didn't come, how do you go from one dead guy to 2000 years of a global cross-cultural bilingual multinational movement? You can't. The power of God has been unleashed and it's unleashed to and through the church of Jesus Christ. I love the church. I'm sick of people trashing the church. I'm sick of people criticizing the church. I'm sick of people attacking the church. Christ died for the church, he loves the church. You can't love Jesus and slap his wife. That's not how it works. You just can't do that. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they're all in one place, 120. And suddenly, there came from where? Heaven. Worship goes from up there to down here. Worship goes from heaven to earth. Again, friends, every other religion tells us how to go up to God. Good works, reincarnation, pay off your debt, whatever the case may be. Christianity teaches us, we don't go up to God, he comes down to us. That God's not lost, we are. That we don't find him, that he finds us. And here, God comes down, the Holy Spirit comes down. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Most Bible commentators, theologians, and teachers would say that this is the beginning of the new covenant, New Testament church. And what happens is heaven comes to earth because the Holy Spirit comes down. He connects the worship of God up there and the worship of God down here. I told you that we have, in addition to the physical realm that we see, the spiritual realm that God sees. And the Holy Spirit connects the realms of heaven and earth. And he comes down and he anoints and appoints the church. Now, I can't get into all of the details on why why I believe this, but let me just say this really. There's a guy who wrote a book called The Unseen Realm. His name is Dr. Michael Heiser. He's a Bible scholar. I'm a nerd. I'm a total nerd. I really, I drive trucks. I like guns and dead guys. I mean, those are just a few of my favorite things. I just, that's me. Okay. So, so that's me. But 
I, I can't get into it, but for those of you who are my nerd friends, if you want to buy yourself a little Christmas present and give yourself a little headache, get The Unseen Realm by Dr. Michael Heiser. He comments on this Acts chapter two passage on page 297. I can see it, it's on the right. And he makes this argument that when you hear of rushing wind and tongues of fire, it's language in the Old Testament where the divine counsel in heaven shows up on earth, where the throne of God is present and the realms are reunited and reconnected so that departed believers and divine beings as well as living believers on the earth are reconciled and reunited. So what happens here is heaven, the unseen realm, the divine counsel, the worship of God in heaven, boom, comes to the earth. And it's not that we pulled heaven down, it's that the Holy Spirit brought heaven down. Now, when we see this, this is where worship begins in the spirit on the earth. Now, just for Bible translation as a general rule, we, we are a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, Bible-memorizing church. If you don't have a Bible, we'll give you one. If you've got one, we'll give you another one. We really like the Bible. We believe that this is the only perfect thing on earth. We believe it's the book that God wrote and we believe that ultimately it's all about Jesus. But as you read the Bible, some people will say, well, you can't take it literally. My question is always, should I take you literally? Um, you know. And when the Bible speaks, it always speaks literally, but it does so in two ways. It speaks in plain literal and figurative literal. Plain literal, it just says what it means and means what it says. And then figurative literal, God will use poetic and allegorical imagery to communicate a literal truth. We do this all the time. We do this all the time. I'm so hungry I could eat a, I don't want a horse. In fact, that's the last thing I wanna eat. You understand it's a metaphor and what it means is I want a steak, fries, potatoes, and a dessert. That's what I really am trying to communicate. And so what we do, we'll use figurative language to communicate literal truth. Sometimes when we're talking about something that is so big, so massive, so beautiful, so incredible, so awe-inspiring, it's hard to contain or constrain its explanation within language. And so we're using as many words as we can. So we'll use words such as these, like, and as. Well, it was like this and it was as that. That's figurative language still communicating a literal truth. When the Holy Spirit comes down from heaven, when the divine counsel comes to church, when the people of God and the presence of God come down into the scene realm to bring the presence of God and to rejoin the people of God, what he is saying here, Dr. Luke is under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's hard to explain exactly what was happening there. A lot was going on. So he uses these words. It was like wind and as of fire. It was like wind as of fire. That's figurative language communicating a literal truth. Now, the first is the wind. What does the wind denote? Power, power. How many of you have been here during the monsoon season and the winds kick up? And if you're new, uh, stay home when they hit, just stay home. I mean, I've seen dumpsters picked up and just just like a Frisbee spun. Uh, there was a, a semi truck that was filled with goods near our house. And uh, I saw, as I was driving home, I saw the wind hit it, pick it up and just flip it over. The wind has incredible power. And Jesus says to a guy named Nicodemus in John chapter three, that the Holy Spirit, he's like the wind and that the spirit filled people of God, they too are like the wind, meaning it's powerful, but you can't control you're under control. 
The Holy Spirit is the power of God and we don't control him. He controls us. And what he says is, it was like the wind, that the Holy Spirit shows up in power. What I love is the power of the Holy Spirit. I love the fact that you and I don't have to live a natural life. We can live a supernatural life. I love the fact that when we reach the limits of our humanity, we have not even begun to tap the inexhaustible resources of God's power in our life. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in this world. You have the power of the Holy Spirit if you are a child of God. And what he says is there is no Christian life. There's no worship of God. There's no adoration of God. There's no action in the world apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why I love Christianity. It's not about what I do for God. It's about what God does for me, what he does in me, and what he does through me by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's here, here it's denoted like the wind. Next time you feel the wind, just be reminded the Holy Spirit is like that. You don't see him, but you feel him and he moves you and he, he comes in power. And then he speaks as well of the ministry of the Holy Spirit as fire. It's like the wind, the Spirit's work is, and it's as of fire. Now, when it speaks of wind, it's talking about power. And when it speaks of fire, it's talking about passion. See, we still use this language. They were really fired up. All oh, those people are on fire. You go to a Phoenix Suns game, not a few years ago, but now you're like, everybody's on fire. They're all fired up. When we speak of fire, we're speaking of passion. What I don't understand is passionless Christianity. I don't get it. You're like, hey, there's a God and he loves you and you sinned against him and you've ruined everything, but he's come on a rescue mission. He's conquered Satan, sin, death, hell, the wrath of God. He's living and able and powerful. He gives you the spirit. He writes the scriptures to direct your steps. He's coming again to judge the living and the dead. He's going to lift the curse. The dead will rise and you'll be in his presence together forever. Right? And when you hear that, some of you are like, huh? I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand. If the power of God is in you, there has to be passion in you. I don't yell because I'm angry. I yell because I'm passionate. My life does not have a dimmer switch. I'm the on off type of guy. I am, I'll just tell you this. I really like God. So do you believe in God? Sure. And I like him. Like, I like, I like to hang out with him. I like to talk to him. I like to listen to him. I like to learn about him. I can't wait to see him. Here, here's, we're passionate. What, who or what are you passionate about? Who, it, it's not bad to be passionate about other things, but you should be more passionate about Jesus Christ than anyone or anything because Jesus Christ is greater than everyone and everything. So when the Holy Spirit comes here, worship goes from heaven to earth. It goes from the unseen to the seen realm. And the Holy Spirit, he is the worship leader in heaven and he comes down to be the worship leader on earth. And he comes so that we would have power and we would respond with passion. And it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. In the same way, when God created our first father, the first man, Adam, it says that he breathed life into him, that he filled him with the Spirit, that Adam was filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the same language, it's the same nomenclature, it's the same conceptuality here that you and I are living, but we're not really alive until we have the Spirit of God. You can be physically alive, but until the Holy Spirit awakens you and he ignites power and passion in you, you're not really alive. 
And once the Holy Spirit ignites life in you, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. This is like a kite, or this is like the sail on a boat that is just lifeless until it's filled with the power of the air. And then it has power and direction and purpose. I'm just, I'm just, I, I just see something. Uh, God reminded me some years ago. It was, uh, it was during the winter and uh, we, were, we were poor, planted a little church. We had little kids and somebody said, hey, for the holidays, why don't you go to our beach house? And we lived up in the Northwest. And we thought, okay, we'll go. Well, we got there and it's like zero degrees, like hundred mile an hour winds. It was horrible. Like it was, it was like getting sandblasted in a freezer. It was just like, what the? Uh, I mean, if, like if you need to sandblast your car, just park it there. It is, God will take care of it for you. So we got our little kids and they're all bundled up in parkas and we go out to the beach and the, uh, it was, there was nothing enjoyable about it. Kids are all just getting sandblasted by these high winds. And, I, and I'm that dad, I'm like, I gotta find a way to make this awesome and not awful. We need to go buy kites. So we went to the kite store and we bought these big kites and each of the little kids got a big kite. So then we go back to the beach. We're gonna take it head on, you know? So we got the big kite and we let it go. And what was really interesting, I'll never forget, I still remember, this is what I just saw in my mind. My little daughter, she's so tiny, she just hated the beach. She was not she was like, this is terrible, this is terrible, this is terrible, this is terrible. This is, this is terrible. Yeah, yeah. It's free, you get what you pay for. You know, so. And then I, and then I, I, I got the kite and we put the kite together and gave her the string. And she just looked at the kite and she's like. Mm. And then the wind caught it. Boom! And then she's, thank God she's got mittens on. Otherwise we would have severed all of her fingers. It's just, boom, up goes the kite. The kite is filled with power and it starts dancing. And so does my little girl. And all of a sudden, it made sense to me what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. His power causes you to dance. And what he says here is that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. See, when we come together, we're the people of God, the presence of God, singing the praises of God. The goal is that we invite him so that, so that the kite of your soul can get off the ground and start to dance. And ultimately, here's what my convictions are. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit when you become a Christian. You can't become a Christian without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives you new nature, new desires, takes out your heart of stone, gives you a heart of flesh. He causes you to be born again by the Spirit. So every Christian uh, is sealed with the Holy Spirit, born again of the Holy Spirit. And then there are, and that's something that happens once. And then there are multiple fillings. Because let me say this, friends. It says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. There are times in your life that you're gonna need more power and you're gonna need new passion. Some of you, you're gonna, you're gonna go through things or you're going through things right now. You're like, I've never been here. I've never done this. I, I, I don't know what to do. And I, I'm kind of at the end of my ability. Like I can't just tough it out or grind it out. Like I, I, I'm done. 
That's the, you need to be filled. You need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit to serve, to suffer, to speak, to sing. There are times in life when you, you have the Holy Spirit, but, but you need a new filling. You need a fresh wind. You need a new breeze. You need an empowerment and a refreshment. And, and, and this is how God operates. He sends the Spirit to empower you, to lift you, to strengthen you. And this is the church. And so the question then is, as we are the church, and we are part, let me say this too, there's one church. There's a bunch of local churches. We are a local church, but there's one universal church. We're part of that. And the people are like, well, what church are you in? Look, I'm, in, I'm on team Jesus, and we live by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's one church. Okay, so other churches will have different styles and names and brands, but it's all one family. We're one big extended family. And the question is then, when we get together as the church, how are we supposed to worship? How are we supposed to worship? Two things. Number one, don't worship God how he forbids. God forbids to be worshiped in certain ways. So we need to make note of that. We don't worship God how we like, we worship God how he likes. People all the time, they'll come to the church like, I didn't like that. I don't care. We didn't worship you. Like, you know, we, we didn't, you, you'll notice none of the songs had your name, <laughs> right? Praise Tom from whom all <laughs> blessings flow. Praise Tom, no. We love you Tom, but we don't have a song for it, okay? We worship God the way that he says. Let me say this, in every relationship, there are boundaries for the relationship. If you want a relationship with God, he sets the boundaries, not you. Okay, so I'll give you one example from Deuteronomy. You shall surely, Deuteronomy 12, verses two through four, you shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods. Other religions, cults, spiritualities, and ideologies, they worship demons who masquerade as God. God is the creator and they are the counterfeit. When you take over their places, do not continue to worship their God. On the high mountains and on the hills and ever, under every green tree, you shall tear down their altars, their places of worship, and dash into pieces their pillars and burn their ashram with fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods, idolatry, and destroy their name of that place. If they named it after a demon god, rename it. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. Super important. Many of you are new Christians. I love you, but let me, let me just be real clear with you. You can't do something called syncretism where you have a way of worshiping according to another religion or cult or ideology or spirituality, and then you add Jesus to it. Jesus plus anything ruins everything. It's only Jesus, it's solely Jesus, it's constantly Jesus, it's continually Jesus, it's just Jesus. And so what happens is people will like to take other religions, spiritualities, and ideologies and add that to Jesus. And he says, no, you don't worship your God the way other religions do. We don't look out to other religions and ask, or spiritualities and ask, well, how should we worship God? We look up. Okay, God, how do you worship? And what does worship look like in heaven? And what does worship look like when the Holy Spirit comes to earth? That's for us what is precedent and prototype of praise, okay? And so in this, a couple of things I wanna note. Number one, our goal is not to be spiritual, 
but spirit-filled. Other religions, we're like, they're very spiritual. That's the demonic counterfeit of being spirit-filled. Our our goal is not to be spiritual people, but to be spirit-filled people. And to be spirit-filled is to be holy or set apart or different. Now, um, syncretism is where you take Christianity and you add to it other religions and things. This happens often, probably uh, much of the time when Christianity goes into a new culture, the people will want to keep their demons, their religion, their idols, and their spirituality. Let me give you some very practical examples of what I've experienced in 25 years as a Bible teacher. And if you wanna study this in the New Testament, go to Acts chapter 19. The Apostle Paul shows up in a town called Ephesus. We've been there as a family in the archeological dig. It's an incredible place. There was a revival and the people went out and they burned all of their magic and sorcery. They renounced their false gods publicly. What they said was, we're gonna worship Jesus Christ alone. We're not going to worship other gods and we're not going to worship our God in other ways. I've had these questions to give you some case studies and examples. I've had people who were Muslim convert to Christianity and they ask, can we still go to the mosque? No, you go to the church. The Holy Spirit did not fall on the mosque. You go where God is. And, and, and I've had some who convert to Islam or from Islam to Christianity rather ask, can we pray to God as Allah? Answer, no, his name is Jesus. We call God by the name that he gives us. In the same way, a parent names a child, a child does not name a parent. God is our father, we don't change his name. I've had people that were raised in feminism and wokeism and progressivism, which is old demonism. And as a result, they'll say, well, we don't like the concept of God as father, so we prefer to pray to God as mother. Answer, no. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this, our father. He tells us 165 times, our father, God is father. He names God as father. You can't be like, well, I don't like it. Well, then you need to change. Because here's the big idea. God does not change, we do. God does not need to change, we do. God is right and we are wrong. So you can't pray to God as mother. And I know some of you, you had a bad dad, abusive dad, father is a trigger word. You need to have the father in heaven heal you so that you're no longer triggered by the word that was used by the abuser on earth. And people come in, they'll be like, well, and I had this recently, we're in Arizona. So have you been to Sedona? Those people, I mean, I just drove in, I was like, all right, everybody here needs to be drug tested. This makes no sense to me whatsoever. But we've had people get saved out of the new age or new spirituality and they're like, well, can I keep my crystals? Cause I think they have a good aura. No, get a hammer and smash them and throw them in the trash. You don't worship rocks. Jesus Christ is the rock of your salvation. You, you got the wrong rock, right? This happens all the time. We try to take, and we wonder, God, why do I not feel your presence? Maybe because you brought the presence of evil into your home. You know, we even do this with silly things. Like you go out to visit a tribal reservation. You're like, well, I'm gonna bring the dream catcher home. That's a demon catcher. You don't wanna catch demons. Why do you wanna catch demons? Please don't catch, if there are demons, let them go. 
Earn your dream catcher. If you've got something in your home that looks like the yin and the yang, that's pantheism and panentheism and Easternism. And it says that God is darkness and light and he's good and evil. And that's not our God. Our God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. Some of you need to go home and in worship to God say, those books are getting burned. That porno's getting burned. That religious icon is getting burned. These things are getting cast out. Why am I trying to bring the Holy Spirit and unholy spirits into my home, into my life? Why would I do that? You need God. You don't need anyone else. You just need God. You need the Holy Spirit. You don't need demonic spirits. And what God says is don't worship me that way. That's not how I am to be worshiped. We don't look out to religions. We look up to the kingdom and ultimately to the king. And within this as well, just pick on Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons because we got a minute. And so out of Christianity, out of Christianity, there come cults. The difference between a world religion and a cult is this. A world religion does not worship Jesus as God. A cult pretends to and comes out of Christianity as an apostasy. So two of the biggest cults are Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. And if, and if you are Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon, I love you. And I'm sure it's heartbreaking. You just found out you're in a cult, but you are. And they have what Corinthians calls a different Jesus. They'll use the name Jesus, but they don't mean the eternal son of God, the father, son, and spirit, co-equal, co-ruling, co-reigning, creating, sustaining, and judging. And so some people are like, well, I, I, I'm a Christian now, but can I go back to my Mormon church? It's not a church. It's not a church. It's got, it's got an angel Moroni on the top. Anything that on the top has a moron, when you meet Jesus, you should leave it. Okay, I know I just eviscerated the whole Southeast Valley. Amen. If the highest authority over your church is a demon and you meet Jesus, you can't be under that authority. All right, so, so what should we do? I got a little negative. Um, well, judgy, don't judge me judging you. That just multiplies our problem. All right. So not only does the Holy Spirit descend on the church, he inspires the writing of scripture. The way we know how our God wants to be worshiped and not be worshiped, we read the book that he wrote. People are like, well, how do we know? Ta-da, he tells us how to worship him. This is how he wants to be worshiped. And so I can't get into all of this. I'll put it in the notes at realfaith.com. I'll just give you, a, so first of all, the Bible talks about, uh, ah, okay, let me, let me set this up. Let me set this up, let me set this up. So first of all, when it comes to how the early church met, people are always like, oh, we should be like the early church. Really? Because in Corinth, they're drunk. In Galatia, they're legalists. I think we are like the early church, okay? So I met drunks and religious people. We, you know, we are like the early church. And so what happens is sometimes people will ask, well, how did they worship in the early church? We don't know. The Bible gives us no record of an early church service. Furthermore, church history outside of the Bible doesn't record any church service. And so what we have are principles and methods. The Bible gives us principles that are timeless and then the methods can be timely. Christianity has been around for a few thousand years. All these languages, nations, cultures, tribes, and the Holy Spirit will give us the principles and then help wise leaders determine the methods. And when it comes to worship, that means that 
in one country, they may have a certain service order. They may meet in a cathedral. They may meet in a strip mall. They may meet under a tree. The method is, where do you wanna meet? The principle is meet. They may sing different songs, but the principle is sing to the Lord, different methods. They may use different instruments and that's fine. Those are methods and the principle is worship the Lord. Uh, the, the two things I would say is number one, there's a difference between your public worship and your private worship. Uh, First Corinthians 14, which is on worship publicly talks about this. You may be like, well, at my house, I got a karaoke machine and man, I'm rocking for the lamb and I yell in tongues and I got a praise banner and a tambourine and whoo, not here. That's for your house. We love you. And if you invite us over, we'll pray about it. But we, we don't wanna see it publicly. Right? There's your private worship and then there's your public worship. Because private is just you and God, but public, the rest of us are involved. And so the principle is in 1 Corinthians 14, 40, that everything should be done in a way that is decently and in order. It meaning when we get together, it's not private worship in your house, it's public worship for us. The context of 1 Corinthians 14 is public worship, decently in order, meaning it's put together in a way that makes sense and flows and people are just doing whatever they want, like some sort of riot, that everybody's under the authority of the spirit. So if we're going to do that, here are seven things that the New Testament talks about. Number one, greet one another. That's what it says in 1 Peter 5, 14, it says greet one another. So we did that before the sermon, right? So when we get together, it's like a family reunion. Hi, nice to meet you, good to see you. And afterwards, say hi, stop, mix, mingle. Next year, we're gonna take a special offering. I wanna build a huge park out front, fire pits, more fun, double the party, so you can spend more time greeting one another. But it should be, hey, we're loving, we're relational, we're warm, nice to see you. Hey, we're glad to have you. Number two, reading scripture. It says in 1 Timothy 4.13, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. Do we do this? Do we ever cover a verse? Do we ever do this? Yes, we do. We do, I, I like to auction verses as many as fast as possible. And so if you come here, you're gonna get a lot of Bible, amen? amen. Okay, and then, ooh, preaching. Uh, it says in uh, 2 Timothy 4, to preach the word. It doesn't say preach CNN, preach your opinion, preach the progressive woke agenda, preach the religious right Christian nationalism. Let me offend everybody, it says preach the word. It says, don't follow the trends, follow the spirit. Open the book and tell the people what the Lord has to say, preach the word. So the way we do this, we tend to go through books of the Bible. This year we did Romans and we did James. We're doing the Worship the King series. And in January, we're gonna start the book of Genesis. We're gonna go through the book of Genesis. So preach the word. Do we do that? One of us does, yes. Okay, so. Uh, in addition, the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's table. These are ways that God is worshiped. Sacrament means a means of grace. It's a way that God blesses you and pours out his favor on you. Jesus told us in Matthew 28, 19, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the singular name of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do we baptize people? Yes, because Jesus told us to show that we are dead and buried with Christ and raised in newness of life. And as Jesus cleanses us from sin, it's like water cleansing us from filth. This year, good news, we baptize over 400 people in our church. And so that's awesome. It's awesome. And we tend to, our method is we do that on the stage. We do that with a band. We put it up on the screen so that everybody can sing and shout. 
And if you need to be baptized, you just tell us. We regularly throw special services to baptize and also the Lord's table or what is known as communion is the other sacrament. First Corinthians 11, Paul says this 23 through 26, what I received from the Lord, I delivered to you. What Paul is saying is here's what Jesus taught. And I'm just telling you what he said. That's good Bible teaching, by the way, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, the night before he went to the cross to die in our place for our sins, he broke bread and had given thanks. And this is at the Passover meal where God's wrath would pass over them because Jesus would die for them. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after dinner saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus had a meal with his disciples and said, the bread should remind you of my body that is broken. The wine should remind you of my blood that is shed. We do communion now every single week. After the sermon, we will sing three songs. During that time, you can go to the back. There are five stations to partake of communion. We have gluten-free and gluten-full. We have wine. And for those of you that have had an issue or a conscience problem, we have juice. It's methods. The principle is partake remembering the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. If you are a Christian, you can go whenever you want. If you're married, go together. If you're a family, take it together, pray together with your friends, your life group. Communion is where we commune with God and one another. It's about relationship. Jesus died so that we could be forgiven and have a relationship with God. Therefore, the Bible exhorts us before we partake of communion, if we have conflict with someone else, if we're the guilty party, we apologize. And if we're the offended party, we forgive. And then we go take communion. What we say is Jesus died for our sin so that we could be reconciled to God and one another. And so it's all about keeping and maintaining healthy, humble, holy relationship with God and others. And then he talks about prayer in 1 Timothy 2.1. He says, I urge that supplications, prayers, and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people. He says, when you get together, pray for each other. So we do this every week. I'll finish the sermon here in a few hours. And when I do, there's gonna be, what are you chuckling about? There'll be prayer teams in the back. Every week after the sermon, you can go get prayed for. Anyone or anything you need to be prayed for, we have a prayer team that would love to pray for you. And even if the service is over and you're walking out and you're like, actually, I do need to get prayed for, they will stay there. We wanna do what God says every week when we get together. Now I tell you this, so don't get judgy of other churches. Don't get critical of other churches. This is how we do it. Let's just trust that the Holy Spirit has told them how to do it for them. This is how, as your senior pastor, Bible teacher, founder, and leader, these are my deeply held convictions of how we are to worship God when we gather together. But that's not a judgment on any other church. I love pastors and churches, and none of them is gonna die and give an account to me. We're all gonna go before the same throne and we all need to listen to the same Holy Spirit. In addition, here's your least exciting part for many of you, financial giving. Oh, you got to my wallet. It's always the last thing to get saved. The last thing to get saved is your wallet. First Corinthians 16, he says, concerning the collection of the saints on the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside your giving, store it up that he may prosper. And so the point is simply this, part of your worship is your giving. He uses the language of sacrifice. Zero people in the Bible come to worship empty-handed. So be like, the band was good. That was really good worship. It's not worship unless you make a sacrifice. 
Because we either worship our wealth or we worship God with our wealth. And so for you, it's thinking about, okay, God, what do you want me to give? I set up, we set up in my family, we pray every year about what we believe God wants us to give. And then above and beyond that, as needs and opportunities arise, we give beyond that and we set up recurring giving so that it's, I do the same thing with my mortgage. My thing is like, I should be at least as committed to God as I am my mortgage company. And Grace pointed it out today. In the Old Testament, this meant you had to bring your animal. How many of you are you like, oh gosh, where do we get the sheep? And we got to get a good sheep and a big fat sheep. Now we got to carry the sheep to church. Now, recurring giving. Awesome. Awesome. How many of you are glad right now? You don't have to go out to your car and get the sheep out of the trunk. <laughs> Me too. Okay. And, and, and so within this as well, it's financial giving. And then it's singing and making music. Colossians 3.16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Meditate on God's word. Feast on it. Chew on it. Let it saturate in your soul teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It's music and it's singing. It's the whole person giving praise to God, the creator. So I'm gonna bring the band up and we're gonna sing. We're gonna praise. We're gonna do exactly what God told, to do, told us to do. Here's what we're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna, we've already greeted one another. We've read, there's been some preaching. Now what we're gonna do, we're gonna partake of communion. We're gonna pray. Uh, you can give your tithes and offerings now or later. And we're gonna sing and we're gonna make music. And here's the good news, you made the band. How many of you, you've went to, you've been like, oh, I wish I could make the band. You made the band. You get to sing, you get to shout. A concert is where people perform for other people. The church is where the people of God come in the presence of God to sing the praise of God. And I know some of you are like, I have a terrible voice. I know, but there's auto-tune between you and the Lord. By the time it gets there, oh, you sound so good. So good, doing great. So let me say this and give me a little keys and then a little keys, a little whoop, 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 whoop. Come on, there we go. Okay, so let me give you some things that the Bible says that you can now do. And don't judge them, but worship him. And here's what I would say, try something new. The Bible says um, that ultimately, give me the list. You could shout amen. Let's try it on the count of three. One, two, three, amen. amen. That means, yeah, I agree with that. You could sing loudly. The Bible says too, the Bible says you could fall face down. If you need to get face down, just come to the front or go to the back. Say, you know what? I just need to meet with the Lord now. Reverence, some of you may need to just stand there and say, I gotta think about this. I just, my soul needs to ponder and process this. Uh, it says you can kneel. So some of you are just like, you know what? I need to put my face in my seat. I need to kneel. I know some of you think, oh, what will other people think of me? The point is, don't be thinking about them, be thinking about him. In addition, you can lift your hands. Think of all the terrible things we've done with our hands. This is where we say, God, these are your hands. Let them do what you have created me to do. You can sit. The Bible talks about sitting. I've got all this in the notes at realfaith.com. But some of you, you, just, you say, I just wanna sit here. That's okay. You can pray, just stop and pray or go back for prayer. And so here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. The Bible talks about standing. So go ahead and stand. Hey, look at that. You just obeyed the Bible. Congratulations. And it also says that there is clapping. So if you hear something you like, hey, Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ died for sin. Jesus Christ is alive and well. Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning. Jesus Christ is worthy of praise. Jesus Christ is coming again. And Jesus Christ loves you. Amen? All right. We hope you enjoyed today's sermon. 
If you want to be a part of getting more Bible teaching out across the world, visit realfaith.com slash donate. And for more content like this, visit realfaith.com. Thanks for listening. And remember, it's all about Jesus.